Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. For anyone that wants to do real estate investing, I think it's really important to zoom out and see where the opportunities are in the real estate investing space and maybe not follow the herd. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with Tom Higgins. Tom is joining us from New York City. He's a managing partner at Terra Capital, a real estate investment firm that rolls up mini multis through fund offerings into large, fully renovated, cash-flowing portfolios of 100 to 200 units. He has experience working with large institutional development companies as well. Current portfolio includes mini multis in Pittsburgh, Columbus, and Indianapolis. Tom, I want to ask you about your background, but I also want to ask, how do you define mini multi? Well, Slocum, thank you very much for having me on the Best Ever Podcast. Uh, I've been listening to the show for some time now, and I found it very valuable and insightful for both experienced real estate investors as well as people just starting out. And I'm excited to get into my favorite topic today. So 
I've heard the term mini multis being thrown around a lot very recently, and we're actively trying to coin the term. But what a mini multi is, is it's anything from a two to 15 unit apartment building, kind of the smallest multifamily properties around. And we like to think about these properties, specifically the ones we focus on, as being too big for a flipper and too small for a syndicator. It's very difficult to syndicate four to eight unit apartment deals. And that's what we focus on, kind of that lull in the marketplace. So the idea here is that you buy these two to 15 unit properties until you can get to a portfolio of 100 to 200 doors, and then you position them to be sold to institutional money. Institutional may be a little bit of a high bar. We focus exits on international investors or family offices, certain real estate private equity companies that are focused on the lower market. But yeah, it's creating a syndicatable offering at the end of the day. So 150 unit portfolio, that's a great scatter site around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where an investor can go out and raise capital or they already have committed capital and they can get great exposure to one part of the market and be in all the best neighborhoods with a turnkey asset that's cash flowing at a higher yield than what maybe Brookfield's buying a 200 unit multifamily in one location down the road from some of our properties. For those of you who are listening, who are not familiar, I am an apartment owner operator in Cincinnati, Ohio, and very familiar with the space, the, the property type that Tom is discussing here. So we're likely to dive deep into this more specifically. And I'm willing to say that Cincinnati is a very similar market to Pittsburgh, Columbus, and Indy. One of the things that that leads me to first, Tom, when you say mini multi, you mean two to 15 units. I'm curious why those are the numbers, two and 15. In my experience, again, also as a residential real estate agent who's worked with investors for several years, the two to four unit space is very different from five plus because on paper, the difference is the lending that the properties qualify for, but in practice, the difference is who is willing to buy them and what they're willing to pay in terms of cost per door for those assets, two to four family. There's much more competition because there are much more people willing to buy those. And then I'm wondering also, that's the floor of two doors. Why isn't it five? where most people would put it. And then why is the ceiling 15 doors? Knowing that you're working in the Midwest, you really can't syndicate or raise capital for anything smaller than 40 or maybe 50 doors just because the value per door isn't there here when it comes to the cost involved in registering as a security for that property. Those costs are fairly fixed, all things considered. And so the six-figure purchase prices instead of seven and eight figures make that cost prohibitive to syndicate in most cases. So why two to 15 and not five to 40? It's a good question. I think that a lot of that comes down to the front of our funnel and the way we source deals and the sellers that we are acquiring our properties from. Two to 15 units is really a catch-all for us. Our sweet spot is eight units. And I've also noticed that, yes, I would tend to agree with you that the cost to set up a syndication requires at least a 40-unit deal. But we have seen people doing their first syndications or maybe 
just the friends and family all pooling money into one investment into that 20 unit, 18 unit space. So I do see a stronger demand on the top of our spectrum, but really our sweet spot is that eight unit deal that requires anywhere from 25 to 50% of the total development cost in value add renovations. Specifically, your question about two units, we do sometimes acquire duplexes within a portfolio acquisition where there's one legacy owner that is selling multiple properties and we will buy the few duplexes that they own, but we're not often competing on an on-market duplex process. In my experience, what you're saying makes a lot of sense that the eight unit or six unit And most 12 units are flying under the radar of the vast majority of investors who are looking for something either more passive or that can be made as an offering to passive investors. So you you have many multi-portfolios in three Midwestern metros already. If the end goal is to sell a larger portfolio at a lower cap than you purchased to investors, family office like, or private equity fund like who require lower yields than the people who are grinding out eight units. Let me ask, how many times have you gone full cycle and sold a portfolio like this? We have yet to sell portfolio. We stabilized our first fund, which was Pittsburgh specific at an 8.8 yield on cost or cap rate. And we're projecting, depending on the capital markets in 2025, when is our scheduled exit? We're looking to exit that six and a quarter. We have portfolio comps that traded in the high fives or, or low sixes. And we have large multifamily comps trading in the high four, low fives. So I think 100 basis points award to a family office to take down a scatter site is very realistic. But regardless, when you stabilize a portfolio on that high eight caps, 300 basis point, 250 basis points spread on a five-year hold with typical leverage still drives very, very strong returns for the GP and LPs. It's valuable as well that you differentiate between large multi comps and other scatter plot portfolio comps, because there is going to be a difference there. The difference is mostly, I would believe, operational. You have a lot more complication involved in operating a scatter plot portfolio, especially when you get to 100 to 200 doors. I'm experiencing that currently in Cincinnati. I manage 166 doors. What do your operations look like? This is one of the reasons that most people avoid eight unit properties is because it gets to be too large to do on your own on the side of a full-time career. But at the same time, the majority of high caliber property management companies aren't interested in things that small. So do you guys manage in-house? Do you have third-party managers? And I'm going to go ahead and ask a follow-up question. At what point was your portfolio big enough to pick up third-party management? I'll give you just a little bit more on my background just to contextualize this for you. So after graduating Columbia University, I went and worked for one of the largest developers in New York City. There I did large-scale adaptive reuse, and that development company had all in-house management. Then I worked at the national scale. I went and worked for Lennar Corporation doing ground-up development, and that company owned its own property management team. So in building thousands of units, and they were managing way, way, way more than that, I got great exposure to companies that were completely vertically integrated, and that's really the model that we follow. 
so all our properties are optimized through our in-house management team. And we hire locally service team members, service managers, and contract services to operate the properties. But all of the residential experience, all of the rent collection, all of that type of experience is all done by our asset management in-house team. I like to control the destiny of our own properties rather than hand the keys to third-party managers. Personally, I've never had experience with a great third-party management company. I'm sure they exist, but we're not out actively interviewing them. We really are just trying to find the best people for the job that we can hire. Tom, that makes a lot of sense. In my own investing journey, I've always self-managed Self-management and property management in general gets easier with scale. In fact, that's one of the key reasons I started offering third-party property management services in Cincinnati was scale. I wasn't able to scale my own portfolio fast enough to get to the point where I could get myself out of the day-to-day operations of the portfolio. However, doubling my personal portfolio with third-party management got me to the point that I can have full-time maintenance person, effectively full-time 1099 rehab crews, a staff of virtual assistants, a showing assistant, and have all of those day-to-day operations handled to free up my time to be able to do things like this podcast. When you're looking to go into a new market, is there a critical mass of units that you need to be able to buy just to get started? to buy all at once so that you have the operational scale to be able to manage? So the way me and my business partner, Ray, who is a financial and acquisition strategy Jedi, the way we do it is that before we enter any market, same the way we did it in Pittsburgh and Indianapolis and Columbus, is we go in and we acquire a small mini multi or a medium-sized mini multi, call it the eight unit. And we use that eight unit deal as an anchor one, as proof of concept to show to ourselves and to our investors that it works in this market, but with our own money. So we're able to really interview a lot of service workers, a lot of contractors up front and build out a poll in the market to start to rally around. And then once we've successfully done that, we feel like we have a good team. Then we start organically growing our portfolio. And at first you operate slightly inefficiently as you build that mass, but you very quickly, and I'm sure you've experienced this when you're working with a team member and, they, and you're telling them, I got four more deals coming. I got another eight deals coming. I got another 10 deals coming. They want to work with you. They're excited to work with you. And we have a lot of tools and mechanisms in place because we've been doing this for a long time. And I was able to pull a lot of experience from the previous companies I worked at to create great protocols and great systems to have our contractors and service team members really be able to excel. And the reality is, is that we are truly optimizing these mini multis. We are turning everything electric that we can. We are perfectly submetering. We're creating a experience, all newly renovated kitchens, bathrooms, repairing floor joists, doing new subflooring, doing new engineered hardwoods, et cetera, et cetera, to our company standards, all keyless entry. In theory, these are all newly renovated units that have a lower operating cost on an ongoing basis and makes it easier for our team members to be successful. We're not half doing the job and saying, hey, please make this work. We're really building it to our 
ironclad standards. And we took that from best in class standards from Lennar Corporation, the second largest home builder in the world. If you walked into one of our units, you walked into one of their units, the interiors of these units look very similar and a lot of the same materials and best practices. So it creates a asset that is understandable. And I don't want to say easily manageable because I think that that's a misnomer. I think anytime you interact with the real world and real people, it takes hands-on experience and hands-on know-how to be able to execute that well, but we're creating as many guardrails and systems to be able to execute that well. That's a great answer. And that makes so much sense. And there's a big part of me that Tom that wishes I had your background in doing what I'm doing for sure. We'll get back to the show with a first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez, 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. I want to key in on something you said there. You said that you buy the first eight unit with your own capital. Great. That makes a lot of sense. Get your proof of concept, have skin in the game. That makes it sound like you're raising capital for eight unit number two. How does that capital raising working for you thus far? Are you structuring as an open-ended fund? Is it joint venture specific to each property? How are y'all doing it? Well, I think this is a perfect opportunity to plug something that is near and dear to your heart and also very exciting opportunity for us. Terra Capital was just chosen as one of the finalists at the Pitch Slam sponsored by Veravest at Best Ever 2023. So we're one of the 16 finalists. So you'll see us up on stage in front of Matt Burke, Joe Fairlish, Ash Patel pitching what we're very excited about, which is our Terra Capital Fund 2 offering. So I mentioned earlier, we did a Fund 1, which is closed fund for Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania as a proof of concept for a roll-up strategy. And we stabilized our portfolio. And now we're actively focused on Fund 2, which is also in Pittsburgh, but also Columbus and Indianapolis. And we're actively raising for that fund. It's a 506C offer, right, Greg? Um for the sake of the podcast, and because we're not allowed to make specific offerings of investments on the podcast, and because you already will be pitching this at best ever, and that conference should be happening just a couple of weeks after this episode airs. So if you have not gotten your tickets yet, I highly recommend it so you can listen to Tom and 15 other incredibly sharp people looking for capital to deploy into amazing investments. There are promo codes for tickets currently. If you listen to Joe Fairless's promo at the beginning, likely of this episode, if not this episode, check yesterday's to get a discount on your ticket last minute and, and join us in early March out in Salt Lake City. Tom, I want to ask more broadly, let's put it this way. 
I'm in a very similar market and I own and manage a handful of mini multis and a couple of things that are larger than you're looking at. Tell me how I should structure a fund like this. Make this about me and our listeners. I want to do what you're doing. I have my proof of concept property. I have a handful of them. And now it's time for me to go start my fund. What's the first thing that I should do, Tom? And then talk me through it. Look, I think that a lot has changed in the last six months to two years and the way in which you can do this. You had uh, the Veribest guys on the podcast a few weeks ago talking about all the innovation in this fund organization space, but you have to pick which regulation that you're forming your fund under. You have to declare with the SEC and you have to hire a competent lawyer and accounting team to set up your structure. Fund one, we use Pittsburgh Council. Fund two, we use Pittsburgh Council. We are now looking for future funds to use one of these tech-enabled partners to take subscriptions and enable a fund. But basically, you have your proof of concept, you have your thesis, you have your track record, you have your sponsor history, and then you go out to either through your own network or through networks like Best Ever or other similar networks, and you look for family offices, accredited investors, high net worth individuals to invest in your fund. They subscribe to it. And then when a deal comes up or fund expenses come up, you call the capital to execute on the deals. And why that's valuable for an operator in the mini multi-space is that if you're raising money for every eight unit deal that you're doing, it would be very, very difficult to be able to do this repeatedly and at scale. We buy anywhere from 15 to 20 units. And that's multiple properties every month. We need to not have to worry about where that cash is coming up from. And the sellers, and we have a lot of repeat sellers, by the way, they like to work with us because there's certainty to close. Lenders like to lend to us because they know that we have all this committed capital. So it allows us kind of as a mothership to execute and be much more efficient. Tom, that makes a lot of sense. It also sounds like you have a mini multi portfolio version of a fairly standard value add business model that as one of our best ever listeners, you know how often we discuss it in the apartment space on this show. With the idea being that you have a targeted sale time for fund one in Pittsburgh, are you underwriting to the five-year hold? with a preferred return while you hold the assets and a targeted IRR for investors? And what are those numbers? Sure. Fund one was at 7.5% PREF. So all money is returned and then the LPs make 7.5% per year. And then for fund one, we use the Lehman scale. And I'm not going to try to articulate that on the show today, but basically it's hurdles. So after you meet a certain return threshold, it's like the waterfall starts to diverge. Fund two, we made it much more simple and we did 80-20. And that's kind of an institutional standard that I find much easier to explain to LP. So I would encourage anyone when they're setting up any syndication structure or any fund offering that has high net worth individuals or small family offices to think through really how to award the people in the best and simplest way possible that believe in you and invest with you. For us, we have a lot of institutional guys that work at institutional real estate companies that invest with us. So they're kind of used to that sort of institutional standard that I think a lot of syndicators are awarded for when they have that sort of simple, very favorable structures.
Tom, before we move on, we're unfortunately running short on time for this conversation. I feel like we could talk for another hour and a half. I do want to give you the opportunity to say nice things about the Cincinnati market since you told me you were considering it before we started recording. Here I am, Cincinnati owner-operator, and you're already in Indy, Columbus, and Pittsburgh. What is it that you were seeing about Cincinnati? Are you considering it? Are you actively looking here? We are not actively looking there yet, but it is on our very, very short list. I would say it's probably market four or five on the ones that we want to get involved with. If I can cut you off, that means you chose Columbus and Indianapolis recently over Cincinnati. So let's flip the script. Why did you choose those two instead of my market? Well, the only real reason is is the size. So since he checks the boxes that we as a real estate investment company are laser focused on, and that's why I said this conversation would be self-serving. Cincinnati is over-indexed in bio health, is over-indexed in manufacturing, is over-indexed in low-cost professional services, alternative jobs, and in low-cost alternative tech jobs. That to us indicates what we would like to say is a healthy market. Job sectors that are recession resistant that we believe are going to only grow over the next five to 10 years. And the Midwest, Columbus, Cincy, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, they're just very well located to take advantage of the reshoring that's happening in America. They've had a lot of time to grow their health and medical as well as educational backbones. And we see them over-indexed in comparison to the U.S. average. They also are not boom towns that a lot of people have been chasing in the South, like in Austin or Florida, where it's in the news, it sounds great. There's a supply and demand issue. While that's great for short-term returns from a rent growth standpoint, it also comes with a lot of problems. So we look for healthy markets that are affordable, right? You talk about this too. I've heard you talk about it before, but the ratio of AMI to rent affordability, everyone always talks about, but the golden line is that 25% of how much money you make every year, you should only be spending 25% or less on rent. That's only really true in very select big markets in the US. And that line has been blown out of the water in a lot of coastal cities. So since he also checks that box for us. So these markets have a lot of amazing mini multi-housing stock in great locations near great hospitals, great universities with healthy markets where we're not worried about the constituents not being able to afford rent and start voting people into power that push for rent control and rent stabilization. So there's just a long list of these things, but really as real estate investors, we're focused on risk-adjusted returns and not chasing boom towns or the news. We want to use the value-add economics that we all are obsessed with in healthy long-term growth markets. And I think since he checks that list, Indy checks that list, Pittsburgh checks that list, Columbus checks that list, And we're very excited to be heavily invested in those markets from now and and long into the future. The reality is the news doesn't talk about it, but a lot of the biggest institutional companies in the U.S. are talking about it. Brookfield recently did a massive acquisition in Pittsburgh. Lightstone just bought 5,000 units in Columbus. It's kind of the worst kept secret in the industry, but I feel like a lot of people haven't caught on that the Midwest is a great place to get educated on. There are many more questions. I want to ask, but it is time. Tom, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, sir. What is the best ever book you recently read? I was going to joke and say Sun Tzu, The Art of War. But right now, really, my favorite best ever book is Principles by Ray Dalio. 
I really love the way he talks about behavioral psychology, behavioral economics. And I've been thinking about it a lot while I'm setting up our team and building out Terra Capital. I think it's a really nice way to think about building a team, hiring the best professionals, really maximizing their strengths to grow the organization in the right way. So it's something we've been laser focused on and trying to build on every year. Also, you didn't ask, but I do also have a best ever magazine that I recommend, which is Fine Home Building Magazine for any of our value add renovation or construction gurus or construction addicts like me. Fine Home Building Magazine is phenomenal if you want to learn the right way to renovate houses or mini multis. Never would have expected a millennial to recommend a magazine. (laughs) What is your best ever way to give back? Really, the main way I've been giving back and the thing I enjoy most is really mentoring and providing resources and recommendations to people starting out in real estate, whether it's on the entrepreneurial side or in the institutional commercial side, connecting with people that are just coming out of college or even not going to college that want recommendations on how to break into real estate. That has really been a very valuable experience for me. And I try to do calls like that at least a few times a month with with people graduating from NYU, Baruch, and other universities, and just try to point them in direction given our current economic environment. But uh, more recently, and kind of more specific to your question, I've started getting involved with an anti-bullying campaign founded by one of my jujitsu mentors, Tom DeBlast who's creating a national program to teach bullying victims self-defense via jujitsu, as well as trying to advocate to the parents of the bully on behalf of the victim and get that bully the help they need. Tom is joined by special force members, ex-CIA members, police chiefs, et cetera. And I think it's gonna be a really powerful program. And I'm just starting in the last few days, but I'm committed to being a part of it, both physically and financially. And if you wanna learn more about it, Uh, please reach out to me or or go to Tom, D-E-B-L-A-S-S on Instagram. I think it's a really important thing for people to focus on across the nation. And he's really devoted to building it all across the nation. Tom, thus far in your own real estate investing, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that has resulted from it? Well, I did not prepare that question, but I like it. The biggest mistake I ever made was I put a steel beam in a superstructure on a skyscraper in the wrong place. So Now, was this with your own investing or was this when you were an employee is, of an institutional This, this is when I was an employee, owner representative developer at a very large developer. And you only make that mistake one time. And I think it's measure twice, cut once is the lesson I learned from that. What about in your own investing? My own investing, the largest mistake I ever made was we started by syndicating deals in our backyard. And I think people have a propensity. There's always been a narrative is focus in your market, focus in your backyard. I think that the way the world is set up with prop tech and big data, the reality is, is that the whole nation is accessible to investors if they set themselves up correctly. So I think one of the worst mistakes is I ignored underlying market fundamentals when I first got started in real estate and was like, oh, I'll buy so well in my backyard that I'll make up for all the market headwinds. So I think what I've learned the most 
from that is invest in healthy markets. Don't invest in unhealthy markets just because it's down the road. That makes sense. On that note, Tom, what is your best ever advice? Oh, my best ever advice. Hmm. Again, not prepared this question, but I like it. My best ever advice is, I think that it's for anyone that wants to do real estate investing, I think it's really important to zoom out and see where the opportunities are in the real estate investing space and maybe not follow the herd. See what assets are being overlooked. See how you could build a strategy around it. How can you scale that strategy? I think a lot of us will sometimes flock to maybe what's sexy or maybe what's safe. Or people have proven time and time again. I would urge anyone to zoom out a little bit and think of an underappreciated aspect of a market or a strategy and build a thesis around that. And I know that that's for both my business partner and I, it's what we've gotten immense value out of and what has awarded us the most. That's awesome. Tom, last question. Where can people get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with us is usaterra.com. Also, feel free to email me at tom at usaterra.com. And also, if there's any accredited investors interested in learning more about our offering, follow the prompts on our website, or you can email us at investors at usaterra.com. We also are working on a non-accredited Reg CF vehicle. I'm going to be happy to speak more about that with anyone that's interested. Also, I'm very active on Bigger Pockets. So if you search Tom Higgins on Bigger Pockets, I'll probably be the first name that pops up. It's a community that I've been engaged with that uh, Slocum, I think you would also really enjoy if you're not already a part of it, is the retweet community on Twitter. So I can be reached at Tom C. Higgins uh, on Twitter as well. But I think retweet has been phenomenal. A lot of operators, developers, institutional, starting out, entrepreneurial are all really engaged on that platform. And I've really enjoyed talking on it and talking with other investors. Those links are in the show notes as well. Tom, thank you. Best of our listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show, leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend that you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Slocum, it was amazing taking the time to speak with you today and I'm excited to see you in Park City, Utah. Yes, see you there. Hi, best ever listeners, Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.